Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Looking out the window, there's snow on the ground. It's winter time. Taylor, we're going to have some cold for a while. We might even get some more snow during this next week. Uh, it's going to bode well for ice fishing. You know, we needed cold weather up in the mountains to firm up some of the slush on those lakes. We'll be talking to some of those folks in just a bit. And down on the front range, it looks like we're going to have kind of a fairly extended ice fishing uh, opportunity down here, which usually doesn't last this long. So we're going to talk quite a bit about that today, too. You know, we're going to talk about a few other things during today's show, too. Questions we got at the ISC. By the way, thanks to everybody who attended the International Sportsman's Exposition. It was so, so great to see all you. And thanks to um, Lou's uh, Reels and the Rather Outdoors group and Eagle Claw and ISC. Because of them, over 90 kids left that uh, left on Sunday with either a fishing rod or a tackle box, and that makes me smile. It made them smile. It was the best part of the whole show. But really like getting to talk to folks and see them and, and get your feedback on the show, even if it's not always, hey, we love everything you do. Sometimes it's that, you know, could you do more of this or cover more of that? Because sometimes we get in ruts too. So <clears throat> don't ever be afraid to make those comments. Another thing we're going to talk about today later on the show is the true health values of being outdoors. But right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Fishing with Bernie group up at Granby is Dan Shannon. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Terry. It's, uh, are you up in Granby right now? I am. I'm sitting here in my living room where it's nice and warm. Well, it's a, a nice, balmy uh, two degrees outside, so good yeah. things. But you need that, you need that cold, don't you? <laughs> we, do, we do need that cold. Our lakes uh, need a little bit more work on them to get ready for the upcoming tournament. Um, we've got a lot of slush, and just the insulation we've gotten from the snow has uh, kind of slowed down the ice growth this year. So we need this cold, and ice, ice conditions have been improving rapidly over the last two, three days since the, since the temps have dropped. That's awesome. We'll talk about the tournament in a minute, but, you know, people don't understand. You get the You get a freeze. You know, if that snow falls before the freeze, it drops that water temperature quickly, and you get a lot of ice forming quickly. But if you get a sheet of ice and snow on top, it does insulate it, and it's like a blanket on it. And then you get the snow starts to melt, and you get a slushiness at the between the gap between the ice and the and the snow. And when that's at its worst, it can really make things difficult, can't it? It does. You know, the snow is quite an insulator, and you you. The weight of the snow pushing down pushes the water up on top, and water by itself is another insulator. So, you know, all that has to form another crust, and almost it's almost like refreezing the lake. It's got to cap it all over again. Now, you said it's improving quickly, but that's good. I imagine it's probably you're just starting to get out exploring some of the parts of the lake because when you do have that snow layer, it gets a little tough sometimes to get around. You have to really be cautious, don't you? Yeah, you really do when you're out traveling on the lake on snow machines. Uh, we're just starting to get thick enough ice to travel out there with the machines. You definitely got to gotta go prepared to get yourself unstuck, bringing shovels, bringing toe straps, 
Um, some of the tricks that we use when we're out driving around is I'll make a pass over the area I want to fish first with the snowmobile, and I come back and I park back on my tracks again, so I'm not having to start in the deep snow. And that way I'm making sure I'm not parking the machine in flush either. So, you know, that, that first pass coming through kind of gives me a whole lot of indication of conditions and helps me get started back moving again later. Well, fortunately, things are going in the right direction, and uh, and they should be. You think they'll be pretty good shape by the tournament on the twenty seventh? I do. I do think we're going to be in great shape. We've got a whole lot of cold temperatures in the forecast, and not not much snow. So we should be. There should they should start forming up some, thickening up that ice, and hopefully freezing some slush so that everybody can get around easily. How are the water levels up there? Have they maintained? Or are they dropping? Uh, Granby has been dropping. It's dropped about three feet in the last 20 days or so. Um, it's sitting right at about 86% full. So they are doing some pumping going out, which is, I mean, it's expected this time of year. They need to draw the lake down. They've got to retain some of the snow milk. We got sure got a whole, whole, uh, boatload of snow on the ground out here already. Uh, Williams Fork is sitting at about 46%. So it's really low right now. Um, but then Grand and Shadow, they don't, they don't really change. Those ones stay the same because they're they're regulated to stay the same. Yeah, they're natural lakes, so they maintain that same level. So what's the fishing been like? Let's start on Gramby. So the fishing on Gramby has been good. It's been the fish have been very active. We're finding the finding lake trout in all depths really. Like uh kind of mainly we're targeting right now between thirty and sixty five feet. Um the and it's been I mean the bite has been excellent for both numbers of fish and and larger fish. And we really haven't even gotten all over the lake yet. We've really been able to hit some of the some of the areas that were that froze first. So I, I'm itching myself to get out there and, and get all over the lake. You know, when you mentioned, you know, 50, 40, 50, 60 feet, do you think a lot of people maybe fish too deep when they're fishing lake trout? You know, I, I, think, I think that the overall thought is that lakers live real, real deep in the lakes. And, you know, there's always a certain number of fish that do. But I tend to find the more active fish are on the shallower side of that, um, whether it's numbers fish or large fish. That you know the the they they kind of get off to those deeper depths. In my opinion, is they're going to go down and they're going to kind of rest and digest. And when they're ready to eat, they're going to move up where that food is up in shallower stuff. So, particularly yeah. in our lakes here, because we don't have real deep forage. Yeah, they almost have to come up to eat because probably the trout and whatever kokanee are left are what they're going to eat, right? Correct. Like those little rainbows and kokanee, they don't, they don't live super deep. So, now what what kind of presentations do you see working for the for the the lake trout right now? So right now we're we're using a lot of, of smaller plastics for our numbers fish. So uh, you know the old fuzzy grubs, the wetsuit grubs, uh, just flat out twist, twisty tails, um, and smaller tubes. Are kind of that's kind of our staple for the for the numbers fish and then for the larger fish we're using larger tubes you know anywhere between five and seven inch tubes and really getting out there and covering covering as much water as we can given the ice conditions you know those larger tubes when you say five to seven inch i think a lot of people have trouble comprehending a a big tube bait but when you're talking about a 30 36 inch lake trout it eats a pretty sizable meal yeah, they they really do. You know, they're apex predators in that lake, and you'll you'll have them spitting up at times. They'll they'll have be regurgitating sixteen, eighteen inch kokanee rainbows. The soccer sized rainbows is just a little snack for a for one of those trophy sized lakers. You know, you, 
when when they inhale, you can actually you can almost fit your entire fist in their mouth most most of the time. So they can they can really eat a large large bait pretty easily. I think lake trout provide just a once in a lifetime opportunity for ice fishing. I mean they they provide one of the best ice fishing opportunities for numbers, and the smaller fish are good to eat. But the chance of catching just a huge fish in Colorado are pretty prevalent and you know it's not as out of the realm of possibility and i think that always makes fishing more fun when you're thinking about that any uh, rainbow and brown action on granby there is there's been so there's been a good rainbow and brown bite early in the mornings you got to get out to to where the you're looking for either the rock mud transition areas kind of where that changes or where the, the small inlet creeks are coming into the end of the lake Got to be real careful with that inlet creek stuff because the ice is going to be different in there. Have to have your spud bar when you're walking up in there, but they, the the water is bringing in all the food, and that's where the rainbows are going to bump right up into to feed early in the morning. Do you think people overlook that other trout bite because of the the opportunity for the lake trout in Granby? You know, I I, I do think so, and that that's another one. We were out the other day. Is uh, we we were. We ended up catching a 23-inch brown while we were out fishing for lake trout. So, you know, there is good brown trout in Granby, and it's kind of a, a quiet, quiet, good little fishery for that, particularly through the ice and then in the in the shoulder seasons as well. well what's going on at Williams Fork? The Williams Fork, the bite's been good. Um, it is starting to slow. Walking walking around on the lake hasn't been horrible. Um, we, we've been getting... We've been getting snow, so, you know, the travel is up and down each day since you're on foot on that lake. With it being so low, the fish are super concentrated, and the lake is at less than half of the half of the capacity right now. So um, you're kind of having to bump down to those next tier of structure to find the right depth for the, for the lakers. Um, but once, once you find them, like, those fish are hungry. They're eating, they're eating tons, of, tons of little crayfish in there, so we're really focusing on crayfish-type invitations. And then Grand and Shadow, um, they fish a little differently, but how are they doing? Uh, Grand's fishing. Grand, uh, it's starting to slow a little bit. Grand's been fishing well for rainbows first thing all along the shoreline, uh, getting in the rainbows and browns. The lake trout, um, they've been pretty consistent. It's like kind of a fair bite, but we're, I mean, they're, they're there, and they're consistently in like a 30 to 60-foot range. And when you're, when you're lake trout fishing on Grand Lake, since it's a actual natural lake, you don't have a ton of structure. So your best tool that you have is honestly is your feet and your machine and getting out there and just walking. And when you locate fish, you know you're in the right spot. Like like use that electronics, and if you're not seeing fish, keep, keep moving because they're moving through there somewhere, and you just got to work to find them. Okay, let's talk about the upcoming tournament. Um, tell me about it. It's the 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is the big one, right? That's it. It's the Three Lakes Ice Fishing Contest. Um, we're, we're, the ice is shaping up good. That was kind of a concern for a little while there. Uh, the, you know, we're, there's going to be a whole bunch of people up here in the area. It's, I think it's the largest ice fishing tournament west of the Mississippi. So, you know, it's going to get a lot of, lot of traffic and looking to have a real good turnout this year. Um, just kind of some things to keep in mind if anybody's coming out to the tournament that there is there is the the thousand pound weight restriction on the lake for for uh, off off highway vehicles, and that will be strictly enforced this year, um, partly because of the inconsistent ice out there right now. But you know it is a lake rule and part of part of the uh, and part of the tournament that 
it hadn't always been enforced in the past. So that's just a little FYI for anybody to hit it out. What, uh, is there a website people can go to? That, do you know if they have to pre-register? So yeah, there's, there's pre-registration is, uh, you can do online registration right now. And then there's going to be some in-person registration at Granby Bait and Tackle here in Granby. So you can do it either way. There's about 400 spots left. And do you know what that website is online where they go? Or um, I believe Google, it's uh, three, yeah, Google Three Lakes Ice Fishing Contest. I believe it's threelakesfishingcontest.com. But, um, yeah, if you just Google the Three Lakes Fishing Contest, it should come right up. You can find them on Facebook as well. Are you, are you going to be out there fishing? I'll be out. I'm, I'll be there weighing everybody's fish. So I hope to see everybody at the weigh station. Now, before that, or and after that, have you got guide trips available? If people want to take, have you take them out and put put them on some of these lake trout? We do. I have a couple of trips left in March, and I know other guide Sam and Jake still have a couple openings left for the year, and we'd love to see you come out. If you'd like to get out there and get after some of these lake trout, it's definitely we've had a really slow start to our guide season, so you know we're gonna we're gonna load it up on the tail end, and this bite should stay good through March. And you get ice, well, usually typically the ice lasts well into April, doesn't it? It does. We we usually cut off our guide season right around the 1st of April just for safety reasons. But, you know, a lot, you'll see people out there typically through all second, third week in April up there all over Granby, even, even with snow machines at times. Each year's a little different, but, you know, that you definitely have the opportunity to ice fish into April up here. You sure do. Well, how do people get a hold of you if they want to book a trip? Yeah, so look us up on the internet or fishingwithbernie.com or Facebook. All our contact info is there. You can reach out to us there, send us, submit a request for a trip online. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the best way to hold us. All right, my friend, you just curl up by the fire and stay warm. All right, you do the same, Terry. Take care. All right, thanks, Dan. Dan Shannon with Fishing with Bernie. Great people. If you haven't ever uh, booked a trip or met these people or have seen them at a seminar, and they know that lake and they know ice fishing. Um, you know, Granby's always had a special place in my heart. I love that lake uh, for three seasons out of the year. I don't fish them much in the middle of summer, although it can be very productive. But spring for big fish, fall for numbers for me. But during the ice fishing season, uh, you know, go out there, set up early for the trout close to shore. You can get a bunch of rainbows and browns and then move your way out into the lake or start early out in the lake, whatever you prefer. But I've been out there with uh, ATVs from the folks at Sun Honda, and there's some some really good uh, videos on my uh, YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, just on fishing uh, Gramby with Bernie and those guys. So, so take a look at that. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We're going to talk about the value of agriculture to managing game in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, let's, let's try that again. This, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Ray Aberly. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Sorry about that little mess up there. We had a phone glitch there right as I was coming back on. Um, so you're, you have a unique position at uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Tell, tell people what your position is. You bet, Terry. Yeah, I, I feel really, really privileged to be able to do the work I do. I'm the private lands program manager for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. 
And really what that is is I work with private landowners and private land stewards throughout the state on anything that touches, you know, wildlife and, and wildlife conservation and, and habitat and work through a lot of different collaborative programs and, and try to get folks the information they need as private agriculturalists or land stewards um, to do the best that we can by Colorado's wildlife. So everything from access programs like the Ranching for Wildlife program and Bighorn Sheep Access program to working with other partners like Bird Conservancy, the Rockies, um, the Natural Resource Conservation Service to put biologists in USDA offices throughout the state um, so that they can help landowners adopt different conservation practices for the benefit of our wildlife. We'll get a little more into that in a minute because I want to explore some of those programs and how beneficial they are to our wildlife and our wildlife enthusiasts. But um, this uh, coming up on the 24th through the 26th of this month, you're going to be with other people from Parks and Wildlife at what I believe is the largest farm show in the state, and that's in Greeley. Tell us about what you're going to have there. You bet, Terry. Yeah, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been really excited to be at the farm show for, for decades now. And we have a large educational booth that we put up in the uh, 4-H building over there at Island Grove Regional Park in Greeley. Um, a lot of folks know it as the where they go to see the stampede um, in the middle of summer there. Uh, but we have a large educational booth there that, that the general public gets information like they might down at the International Sportsman's Show as well. Um you know, general information that way, but also some concerted effort in that booth to, to engage with the, the landowners and the agriculturalists that we have throughout the state on the programs that we might be able to offer. So in that booth, we've got local game wardens and DWMs, district wildlife managers that are present there to answer questions. Uh, the state parks are there. The folks from the state parks are there. Um, it's a great time to hear stories, exchange stories, um, try to plug people into the programs that we offer uh, both the general public and the, the hunting enthusiasts and the, and the sporting enthusiasts we have out there as well as the private landowners. And then on Thursday, we do a general session. We'll be doing a general session in meeting room C, really geared towards the, the private landowners that might be there to get them a little bit of a deeper look into some of those programs that I mentioned before and how they can collaborate with CPW to, to do some of those efforts. Well, you know, even though Colorado has is one of the states that has the most um, public land in the country. We have federal land, state land. Uh, we just have a ton of access in federal and, and public land. A lot of our wildlife still depends on that private land, both for habitat and for access for recreation, doesn't it? It sure does. And really, when we run the numbers and we look at it, there's a handful of species that we know are tied to real high elevations or, or are really localized in, in their distribution. But we throw out the numbers somewhere around 90% of wildlife in the state of Colorado depend on private lands for some part of their life cycle. And so without that private lands providing that habitat and, 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 and being intact, um, we wouldn't have the wildlife resources that we, that we have. And in addition to the fact that we have all this, this public land with the Bureau Land Management and Forest Service, Colorado still has the majority of land in private ownership. We're... It's, it always kind of shocks folks, but we're right there. About 60% of the lands in Colorado are privately held. And through the programs we have, we, we open up about 2 million acres of that 37 million acres of the state that are privately held uh, to public, um, to the public access, whether through the walking access program, which is extremely widespread in the Eastern Plains, or the Ranching for Wildlife program, which is 
generally more on the in the, in the end of the mountains and foothills. Um, and then the Bighorn Sheep Access Program, which is down east I-25 and has the largest bighorn sheep herd in the state. I think a lot of folks are surprised to realize that the largest herd of bighorn sheep in our state are east of I-25. Yeah, it's uh, it's just amazing the amount. And, you know, I want to talk about a little couple minutes left. I want to talk about two aspects of that. One is <clears throat> what these people, you know, you interface with these people to encourage their their ranching and farming practices to help provide habitat and increase the habitat and actually improve the habitat. And then you use some of that for your hunter outreach, like private hunts and things, right? Yeah, and so one of, one of the things that, that Colorado's really done a great job of, especially in the last 20 years, is our hunter outreach efforts. And so whether that's a novice hunter that might be an adult or it, um, uh, it's a youth hunter that might be new to the sport and needs a little bit of time alongside somebody else and they've got parents to support them in that, a lot of those efforts happen on private lands. And a lot of the outreach that happens, whether it's wounded warriors um, disabled uh, veterans hunts or just folks that they've got some disabilities getting access through things like outdoor buddies. Um, much of that effort happens on private lands. And so without the private land cooperation, uh, those programs, which are fairly robust in our state, um, just simply wouldn't be happening. Well, the last question, a lot of these programs, whether they're hunter outreach or ranching for wildlife or walk-in access, not only benefit the public, but the, the, the farmer, the rancher themselves have benefits of having good habitat, having wildlife, which improves all the, the animals in the area, not just the major wildlife. But they also there's remuneration at times too, right? Yeah, there is. There's ways that we try to make it, um, first of all, voluntary. And second of all, that there's mutual benefits. And, and those mutual benefits sometimes come through the allocation of licenses. Um, sometimes comes through on our walk-in um, access program. There's there is a, a fee that goes along with that to get that access, and that that's all really determined by the habitat um, and by the willingness of that landowner to to improve habitat, maintain habitat, and work with us on on those efforts. We're out of time, but if people want to come by the farm show, will you be there? And Parks and Wildlife will be there the entire show, right? We sure will be, and we look forward to folks coming by. It's always a great time of year. This is often the time of year where folks want to share the story of the last fall and their hunting experience or, you know, what they're seeing through the ice or looking forward to when that water melts and uh, turns back into open water and folks can get out there. So it's a great time to share and swap stories but also get the information that hopefully folks can use from the year ahead. Well, and it's the 24th through the 26th. I'm sure if you... Google the farm show in Greeley, it'll come up. And I'm going to let you go because I know you got a date with some ice fishing and some youngsters coming up. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, Terry. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Ray. Great information. You. you bet. You know, the partnerships like that, sometimes we forget how important they are to us who hunt and fish and take advantage of these. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to stop by and talk to them. And if you are a landowner, a farmer, a rancher, just a landowner, uh, stop by. There may be something that you could take a lot of pride in doing and might be a lot of fun or might be even uh, profitable for you. You never know. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to talk about two rivers that have uh, gained extra recognition here in Colorado for their trout fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Uh-huh.
morning. It's a Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They have locations up and down the front range. I tell you what, if you're getting into ice fishing this year, Jack's has a ton of ice fishing gear in stock. Check out their outdoor gear stores, and they'll get you all ready to get out there. Let's go to the phones, and joining, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Dan Brow. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. It's great to be with you. Well, it's good to have you on. Are you calling us from out in the southwest area of the state? Yeah, I'm calling from Gunnison today. So It gets a little chilly there this time of the year. It is a bit chilly. It's around zero this morning, but uh, nice and sunny. So I'd love to see the sun. We've had clouds. It hasn't been extreme cold on the front range, but it's been that dreary cloudy. So I'm praying for sunshine. We'll get some. Hey, we're going to talk about a couple waters that were added to the gold medal waters program. And before we even say which waters those are, tell us what the gold medal water means. Yeah, gold medal waters are really uh, our highest uh, quality trout fisheries in the state. So we, we designate those quality trout fisheries uh, by assigning the gold medal um, or adding them to the gold medal list. And to for streams to meet or to, to be considered for listing as a gold medal water, they need to have at least 60 pounds of fish per acre and at least 12 trout over 14 inches per acre. And so there's, these are... You know, that doesn't mean that they're easy to catch. It means they're there and you can try. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. <laughs> but, but you know, obviously knowing that it's gold medal, that it met those standards, gives an angler not only a chance to look at some waters to go to, but optimism and, and enthusiasm when he goes there because he knows the potential is there. And that's what we ask for is anglers. Then it's up to us to figure to figure it out. Now, in order to become part of this program... Uh, a body of water doesn't just meet that criteria one time and you make it. It has to maintain it consistently. Is that right? Yeah, it does. You know, we do want to sample the water enough that we're sure that it really meets those criteria regularly. And when we do add it to the gold medal list, that really is, is uh, we, we want to be sure we're managing it for that quality trout fishery over the long run. So uh, if we do have a year where something happens where numbers do drop below, we'll, we'll work to get numbers back up to meet the standard. Do you know about how much water we have under the gold, uh, the, the gold medal designation right now? Yeah, and including the new waters that we just added, we, we have a total of about 362 miles of gold metal streams, and that's on 19 different stream segments on about 13 rivers in the state. Wow, that's a lot of water. Now, the, the new ones you added, tell us what the ones you just added. What sections of river have you just added? All right, we have added the Gunnison River from the town of Gunnison or Highway 50 up to the town of Almont. And uh, so to the top of the Gunnison where the East and Taylor Rivers meet. And then we've also added the Taylor River from that point up to Taylor Park Reservoir. And those waters have been very good fishing waters for some time. And you've been monitoring them and you decided it was time. Is that right? Yeah, certainly. I, I think pretty well known that those are great fisheries, uh, especially the tailwater on the Taylor River has been known for decades as one of the best places in the state to find bigger fish. And, and uh, we just wanted to formalize uh, the, the designation, uh, sign the quality trout water by adding these waters to the gold medal list. 
Now, is there a, a brochure or something on the website that identifies gold medal waters? We do have some information on our Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. Uh, we also do have information on our gold medal waters in our fishing brochure, which is also available online. Now, when you designate a, a water like these new ones as gold medal, does that immediately change any of the regulations or management practices? It really doesn't. It, it uh, certainly defines those waters as waters that we manage for quality trout. And so we need to use our tools to, to be sure that we're continuing to manage, uh, to maintain fish populations over time. And quite often that can include special regulations in place. And on the two new waters, the Gunnison does have a quality trout regulation in place. And then the tailwater right below Taylor Park Reservoir does have a catch and release regulation in place for the half mile downstream from Taylor Park Reservoir. You got any fly fishing tips for those two pieces of water that uh, you don't You can tell me. I won't tell anybody else. <laughs> That's always a secret, right? No. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's always a lot of good information out. And I, I always tell people, you know, checking in with the fly shops is good um, and uh, probably the best place to get current information on what flies might work the best up on the tailwater or the tailor or the gunnison. Are there some pretty good flies? Go ahead and name a couple if you want, if there's some in the area that you think do a great job. Um, boy, I, I don't get up there a lot to fish the tailwater, so, yeah. Oh, well, that's fine. You know, before, um, this is just, uh, a recognition again we're talking 362 miles of gold medal gold medal water now to be gold medal water does it need public access or can it be private and public yeah we do want our gold medal waters to have good public access and when looking at the Taylor and the Gunnison all of the gold medal reach on the Gunnison is floatable so real accessible by boat and we also have four miles of bank access Available on the Gunnison, the Taylor really is a great place to uh, bank and wade fish, uh, and there are 11 miles of bank access on the Taylor River. Uh, there is some boat access for float fishing, uh, but as you get up higher on the Taylor, the gradient's pretty high and really more of a whitewater fishery uh, for or a whitewater opportunity for boaters, and uh, but the lower end does provide some opportunity for float fishing. But this just speaks well for what we have here in our state. We have, you know, great access to just these tremendous uh, opportunities. We talked about the amount of fish in these waters. Tremendous job. Last thing I'm going to ask you, I know you're up in that Blue Mesa Taylor area. Is there any good ice fishing going on right now? Yeah, certainly things are icing up. Um, Taylor Park Reservoir is a great place to go. Uh, since it's a little higher elevation, ice is up earlier, and uh, so it's fully iced over. And Taylor's always a place that you want to watch for slush and quite a bit of snow up on top of the ice. Uh, Blue Mesa is also um, building ice and is uh, pretty solid from Middle Bridge to the east, but the west end still is pretty patchy with a lot of open water. So out there, we still have some snow on top of the ice on Blue Mesa as well, about six to eight inches. Uh, but, yeah, as you head west, really need to be careful uh, as the ice is just building out there. And the fishing in both those bodies of water can be phenomenal. <clears throat> Dan, thank you for joining us, and uh, great work in managing those stretches of river. Yeah, great to be with you, Terry. 
So, All right. Take care. Dan Brow. You bet. Dan Brow. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to tell you that going outdoors, you might be getting orders from your doctor to spend out time outdoors. More on that after this time out. And Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Um, we're going to talk about an interesting topic. Now, let's go to the phones. And uh, joining us from Weld County is uh, Olga Gonzalez. Good morning, Olga. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you on because this is an interesting topic to me and something that really hits close to my heart. You know, for, uh, for my whole career, I've been virtually evangelistic about getting people into the outdoors because I think it has tremendous benefits. It has benefits in your value system. It has values in creating memories and bonding with people. And now we know yes. through studies that just spending a little bit of time outdoors really has medical benefits too, doesn't it? Yes. Nature provides people with multiple health and well-being benefits. We have psychological, such as reduces stress and anxiety, increases self-esteem and happiness, Increase well-being and life satisfaction, improves productivity, and reduces mental fatigue. We also have physical benefits, which are reduces blood pressure, improves sleep, improves immune function, reduces hypertension, and improves cardiovascular disease. Yeah, I'm looking at this sheet from you, and we're going to talk about your initiative here in just a second, but um, it goes on to say that just a a few minutes a day outside, you know, obviously psychological benefits, but cognitive functions, but then general physical health, your immune system, blood pressure, headache, sleep. But then it actually gets into some of these studies have shown that it improves your uh, ability to fight cardiovascular disease. It, re it improves cancer survivorship, improves diabetes mm -hmm. symptoms. And so all mm -hmm. these, and so because we now have studies that actually actually show us that it, you can do this and it doesn't take a lot of time to get a benefit. Uh, Weld County has got an initiative going um, called RX Outdoors where you're actually getting trying to get doctors to write prescriptions to get people outdoors. Is that because they maybe would follow the orders of their doctor more than the just general recognition? Well, that's our hope, you know, outdoor RX. Is a nature prescription program that was created to a multi-sector partnership, partnership in Weld County. Both healthcare professionals and community organizations uh, can write prescriptions for activities to be completed in an outdoor setting because research shows that spending time um, in nature, regardless of level of physical activity, can reduce blood pressure, stress level, and um, rates of depression and it leads to good health and well-being. And it, as you mentioned before, it doesn't matter the amount of time you can accumulate through the day. You can just go out outdoors for five minutes and then go back another two or three minutes. You can be active just going in you, into your backyard and observing the nature, you know, smelling, listening the sounds will bring immediate benefits. One uh, of the... Uh, like immediate benefits that I can <clears throat> mention is um, blood pressure. 
just by being outdoors and start observing the nature, you will be uh, you will show decreasing levels of high blood pressure. And we like to show this to people when we do we do walks in the park with community members. We try to measure the blood pressure through the week, and it, that's that's something amazing because they get uh, the the proof. I mean that that the health is improving just by walking, and it doesn't have to be again. Uh, half hour or you know running you just walk and observe the nature yeah i'm looking at some of the times here from these studies and stress gets relieved in and this is per week folks if you spend 30 minutes a week outdoors it helps relieve stress if you spend your well-being 120 minutes a week blood pressure uh 30 minutes a week and just Mm -hmm. your overall health 120 20 minutes a week and you know like you said, now we talk a lot on this show about fishing, hunting, hiking, uh, camping, and all those activities would work. But if you're not into those, if you just want to do some bird watching and go to the park or take a short walk around the block or out into a wooded area or go up to one of the state parks or one of the wildlife areas and just walk around, that's really how it starts, isn't it? That's how you get going. Yes. Any activity that you want to do outdoors it will help. We have plenty of parks in, in Welk County that you can um, get used to. We developed some resource guides that you can find on, on the OutdoorRx website. We have one resource guide for each one of the municipalities in the county, and you will have access to all the parks and all the amenities they offer for you. So if this is now, free, you can just go in the website and have access to the to the resource guides. Now, the reason for the RX Outdoors is not um, you could you do promote this program about getting outdoors. You work with organizations. Um, you work with you're trying to work with more doctors to get them to actually write a prescription from for it. And so you have a a great initiative. And you told me earlier this week that you're actually looking for doctors who have a passion for understanding what the outdoors can bring and actually will prescribe it to people because you just have a feeling that that if a doctor wrote you a prescription and said spend a half an hour a week outdoors, that people are more likely to do it and take it seriously. But you're also looking for organizations to help promote this and uh, both doctors and organizations. So if there's an organization or a physician out there that wants to find out more about the program, would they go to the Weld County website? Would they call you? What's the best way for them to do that? Yes, uh, we are looking for uh, healthcare providers and organizations with the passion. At this moment, we have only seven healthcare providers uh, in uh, community agencies. We have delivered um, 4,000 prescription packs at this moment. But um, it will help to you as a community member if you feel uh, that you need a little bit more information about the benefits uh, and you have some kind of chronic condition, ask your doctor, don't hesitate. Ask them to prescribe your time and nature. So that way they can feel a little a little bit more of the the need. And they, it's super easy to connect with us. They can just go to the website. There is different ways. You can go directly to thrivingwell.com slash outdoorx. 
but they also can contact me. Uh, I'm Olga Gonzalez at the health department. I coordinate the Health Eating and Active Living um, program. And uh, I don't know if I can uh, give my phone number right now, or you can easily go to the website, health department, uh, and look for outdoor RX, and they will take you to my uh, contact information also. All right. Well, Olga, we're out of time, but a great program. Thank you for joining us to explain the program. Thank you for the invitation. Have a nice day. Thank you. That's Olga. And I'll tell you what, folks, I read through the program online. And um, it's in Weld County right now. It's through their health department. And you can go to Outdoor RX, uh, Google at Weld County, and all kinds of information comes up. And you know I've always been a huge promoter of being in the outdoors. And it isn't always just hunting and fishing. Sometimes just a walk through the park. I mean, we just, we got to get up and get away from these screens. We've got to get out, do more outdoor activities. We've got to be less sedentary and just, the commune with nature, listening to the animals, watching a squirrel eating a peanut. Uh, I feed the blue jays on my backyard. I mean, those things are just, they just connect you with nature and makes for for um, just better outdoor activity and you just just better overall health. So Google that and, and give it a look. And if you're a physician out there, you know, try thinking out of the box. We're seeing so many different ways of treating people now that don't involve pills and surgery and there's a lot of ultrasounds and laser techniques well let's incorporate the outdoors into that as i said in the beginning of this i've always been evangelistic about getting people outdoors i think the benefits of spending time outdoors are just totally totally tremendous and no matter what level you do it at you don't have to be an expert angler an expert hunter to take value and if you share it with somebody you'll create memories uh if you go I took my grandson ice fishing. Uh, I take my, my kids have all gone fishing with me and some hunting and, and just sometimes on hikes and sometimes on walks. Just that time will just improve your life. I tell you what, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, Nate Solinsky is going to join us. And then Austin Parr, we're going to talk a lot of fishing updates coming up, get you out on the water, that and so much more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan.